2 Timothy chapter 3 is the, the last book, the second Timothy is the last book the Apostle Paul wrote. At the time that he wrote it, now he wrote the, uh, several books while he was in, um, in a two-year rented home in Rome. When, remember when Julius brought him to Rome, uh, the Lord gave him two years where he was able to stay in his own rented house. Luke and Aristarchus were the ones who helped set that up and stayed with him. And in, those, in that rented house, he had every day a Roman soldier to come and sit with him and, and uh, to be around the clock, guard for him. That's kind of where he probably wrote Ephesians chapter 6, where put on the whole armor of God. He probably had one of those guys sitting right in front of him with a helmet. Probably had the, the shield leaning up against the wall. He had the, the sword that was there. He probably had the breastplate on as he was watching him. So he, he was able to spend two years there in a fairly relaxed way, his home arrest, if you will. And there he wrote Philippians, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Philemon, he probably wrote the book of Hebrews if he was the human author that God used to do that during that time. However, 2 Timothy is a far different scenario. He has been to court already and stood before Caesar. He's no longer in a rented house, he's in the Mamertine prison. I've had the joy to be there and look into that little place right across from the Colosseum where they would oftentimes uh, uh, cruelly treat uh, criminals and Christians in the same way. And uh, he's right across the street there in the Mamertine prison. He's cold, winter is coming, and uh, he has Luke to come and minister to him, but he asked if he could, Timothy, he writes Timothy, and he said, Timothy, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, this is my last rodeo. <laughs> I'm getting ready to leave this world. I'm getting ready to go to be with the Lord. And he said, I need you to come here quickly. And I want you to stop by and pick up the coat I left there with Carpus. Bring that with you. He said, please bring the books. Bring the writings, the parchments, the spiritual writings. I want, I want to be able to read one more time before I go see Jesus about what, what, what's, in the, what's in the Bible there. Bring the parchments. He said, you know, Titus had to go off to Dalmatia. Credence, he went someplace else. And, and everybody really is gone. And Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's, he's, uh, he's in it for the, he got caught up in the entangle with the things of this world. He's gone. He said, Luke is with me, but I really need you to get here. Do your diligence to come before winter. But if I don't, if I don't get to see you, he wrote him a letter. And he challenges him. It's a personal, in-your-face challenge. In chapter 1, he challenges him personally. He references his mother and his grandmother. And he references his early days when he picked him up in Lystra. And, and he references, references his ordination service whenever Paul laid hands on him and other leaders did and, and set him apart for the ministry. In chapter 2, he gives him a practical challenge. He tells him, I want you to be a good soldier. I want you to be a good teacher. The things I've taught you, you find other faithful men who can teach others also. He said, I want you to be a good soldier. I want you to be a good farmer. Be faithful and fruitful. He said, I want you to be a good student. Study to show yourself approved to God. He said, I want you to be a clean vessel. Remember that you're a vessel, and, and whether you're gold or silver or wood or earth, it doesn't really matter, but make sure you're clean. Make sure you're clean inside of you, Timothy, and stay clean. And then he tells him to be a good servant. He said, uh, the servant of God must not strive, but be gentle with all men, apt to teach and patience. 
and meekness, instructing people. The reason we're a servant of Christ is so we can help others. And meekness is the tool that God gives, the spiritual tool to work with them while they oppose themselves that God would bring a repentance to the acknowledging of the truth that they can recover themselves out of the Satan snare that takes him captive. It makes us bipolar as Christians whenever we're in sin and we will not come to repentance and we won't forsake our sin. It makes us just uh, squirrely. He said they, can, they have to recover themselves of that, but you work with people. Then the last chapter, chapter 4, he gives his parting challenge. But in chapter 3 is a perilous day challenge. And uh, I have went through this chapter many times in my past. I think I've preached through it, maybe even to you. But I think it's very good for us today. We live in perilous times. Verse 7 verses, 8 verses of this verse, you think you're reading off the, uh, the Chicago Sun-Times. You think you're reading what's happening right now. And he's telling him, listen, the day in which you're going to serve the Lord is going to be a perilous, dangerous, challenging times. These attributes are going to be in the world at large, but they're also going to be in the people that my people and some of my leaders are going to have these things. And he's going to walk through and he gives 18 different sinful activities and sins that he points out. And he's going to share them in, in sins of, of love and the sins of, in the sins of selfishness, the sins of, of, um, of sexual sins, sins of searching sins, ever learning, never come to the knowledge of a truth. And then he's going to say, I want to give you four things, Timothy, that you can do in a time when everyone's running around in wickedness and sin and confusion. I want to tell you some things you can do. And there's things that I can do and you can do this evening. So very briefly, let's look at this passage of Scripture. I'm just going to walk through it and then make some applications. Verse number 1. He said, This know also that in last days perilous times shall come. Say, Pastor, are we in the last days? Any days after the cross and after Jesus goes back to heaven is the last days. So Paul was living the last days. I'm living the last days. Uh, all the, the, the reformers... The Anabaptists, they were living the last days. Any day since Jesus goes back to heaven is the last days in which the Lord is going to be working. So, but it's going to be a terrible time. There's going to be lots of things that are going to complicate life, ministry, community, society. It's going to be there. Look at verse number 2. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, selfish. How many have seen some selfish things going on? Sure. It happens in the world, and it happens in the church, and it happens in the pastor's life. Men will be lovers of their own selves, really wanting to do what they want to do. Covetous. This is a clamor for more stuff. Boasters. We know what that means. Someone who's just very proud, boastful, proud. Blasphemers. Very critical. Cynical. Opinions about everything, and they let everybody know their opinions. And blasphemy and criti criticism. Look at the next one disobedient to parents, unthankful. I'm glad we have a theme of thankfulness tonight, but this is a sign of the time. No one's grateful. We just complain. Unholy, doing things absolutely opposite of what holiness looks like. Number three, without natural affection. They, they can't, it's, it's just without natural ability to love. Family love has gone away. One of the things I, 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 uh, I believe, in, and some people are trying to push you to make statements about things. I get really frustrated with that. 
But you know, it's a dumb moment to think that anyone should be mistreated. Read your Bible. God is not a respecter of persons. Prejudice is a sin. You didn't pick your skin color. I didn't pick mine. You didn't pick your social status or your, your economic wherewithal. Well, for the grace of God, you wouldn't be able to find your face in the morning to put your cereal in your mouth. But for the grace of God, you couldn't put two and two and actually make out four. Anything we have is a gift from God, and we're not better than anybody else. And it's a grievous sin to be prejudiced. All of us have some of that inside of us. But it's sinful, it's wicked, and any kind of mistreatment of any human being is a sin against God. It's a sin against humanity. But also say that two wrongs don't make a right. It's because somebody does something wrong, now someone else has a reason to do something else. That's not right either. But you see that it's unholy. You see it's without natural love. And one of the challenges of some of the things going on today is that it's on purpose to, to abolish the, uh, the nucleus of a, of, a, of a normal home. They don't, want you, they don't want to be a mom and a dad and children. They want to promote, you know, just homosexual agendas, promote uh, the, 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 just a, a whole opposite plan that God has for a Christian home. And that's not right. He said, but without natural affection, it's not, it's not natural for a, for a woman who has a baby in her, in her womb to go and, and take the life of that baby. That's, you have to overcome a lot of problems. You have to overcome a lot of things inside of you to do that. You have to overcome a lot of things to, to abuse a child take cigarettes and burn a hole into an arm of a little baby or a child. That's, that's, not, that's without natural affection. To beat people or to hate people or to all those things, to curse your children, to curse your spouse, all stuff, that's not natural love. That's not even, that's not the, the people you're supposed to love the most. He said, this is going to be a sign of the time. Without natural affection. Look at the next one if you would please. Truce breakers, they can't count on their words. They can't keep the truth. They say one thing, do another thing. They don't, they, they're false accusers, making false accusations toward people. Incontinent, they cannot contain. Addiction is a sign of, of, of the latter days. People cannot stop. They can't stop drugs. They can't stop alcohol. They can't stop overeating. They can't stop pornography. They can't stop gambling. It's just it's an inability to contain to control myself, control my attitude, control my, my spirit. Incontinent, the inability to control myself. Fierce, mean, despisers of those that are good. Seems like right is wrong and wrong is right. And if someone's doing the right thing, they just find, find they hate the people that are trying to do right. They call them holy Joes, holy rollers. We got a, we got a, a business in our area here. And when the and several guys from Howells Anderson work the afternoon shift, they go to school in the day. And when they come in, they say, "The Holy Rollers are here. Y'all check out." <laughs> the regular guys says, "Bring the Holy Rollers." They make fun of them. They talk about, "Oh, you don't kiss the girls, and you don't do this, and you don't do that." I think they ought to be a badge of honor, Holy Rollers. That's good. I'm glad they think that. But they're they're making fun of them. They're making despising of people that are good, rather than complimenting and appreciating those. Look at the next thing the Bible tells us here. It says, verse number. Verse number four, traitors. Heady, that means just um, kind of like a stubborn, arrogant, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Just looking for the next picnic. 
looking for the next fun thing. If it's not fun, we want to do it. Is church fun? I'll go. If I like it, I'll go. If it makes me happy, I'll go. Lovers of pleasure almost treat uh, spiritual things like Disneyland. Verse number five, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I think this, this can be applied very much, possibly. I think the, the, the main intent here is for Timothy to identify this in other spiritual leaders. These things are, they're on the streets of our city, but they're oftentimes in Sunday school teachers, they're in pastors, they're in staff members, they're in deacons, they're in people who say they're Christians, but they have these very same attributes. Unthankful, heady, proud, arrogant, blasphemers, critical, all these things that we see here. And things are things that should not, should not be. And he says here, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You know, what is the most powerful thing on the planet? According to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, does anybody know what that is? It's the gospel. People are no longer, their life is not about the gospel. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, he says, I want your whole life to be about the gospel. Let your conversation, the way you live, the way you conduct yourself, Many of us, we have, it's been forever since we handed out a gospel track. It's been forever since we sat down with someone and asked them, could I show you from the Bible some truths that someone showed me one day? Could you let one beggar tell another beggar where he found some food? And you know, our lives are not about the gospel. They're about paying our bills, doing this, doing this, and we're not concerned about the gospel. Where even Sunday school teachers, we can fall into this role, and bus workers just trying to get people on the bus. Just trying to get Sunday school class, we'll get, to get our kids and take care of them, but we're not bringing another one to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not concerned about the unsaved mom and dad that's there. We're not concerned about them. We're not thinking about praying, God, give me the gospel. He said they have a form of godliness. They're going through the motions, but there's no power of the gospel. And I think that sometimes we can see this in the world, but we can also see this in me. I can see this in you. We can see this in each other. We feel good about singing songs, and I thank God for singing songs. We feel good about Sunday schools and getting the buses rolling again. We feel good about the live stream and the good offerings and the missionary report. And we ought to be good. Those are, those are, those are godly things. They're important to the Lord. But we should not neglect the power of the gospel. And all of us ought to be stirred on that. You need to, oftentimes, you find people, you know, I think about, I said this to the Sunday school teachers meeting, I want to say we're starting the Sunday school teachers and workers meeting up on, uh, sun, on Wednesday nights at 6.30. The more that could be, when the team's in the huddle, everybody gets in there, it's much better. Can't stand having a practice when I was a basketball coach or football coach with half the team. If you can be there at 6.30, be there at 6.30, and let's get the challenge. But one of the things that reminded me about... Uh, is getting, uh, getting together is a need for follow-up and visit, the follow, and find them, finding people and loving them and helping them and following up after people. It's an important thing. But the, the power of the gospel, and he said, he said they have a form of godliness. I mean, they, they're, yeah, they're deacons, they're pastors, they're assistant pastors, they, they do this, they teach in the Christian school, they, they, they have responsibilities in the ministry, but they don't use the power of the gospel. I want to encourage you challenge you with that. Let, let the gospel come out of you. It ought to be a part of our lifestyle. Every conversation with a stranger ought to be with the intent that we can get the gospel to them. Brother Mark Bush and I were making visits this week, and we went to see someone and begin to talk about 
talk about the gospel. You see how far we can go, and we could tell really quickly that that, 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 wasn't, that was going to stop there. But I went to my car, we wrote down the person's name, began, I'm, I'm beginning praying for them. I prayed for them last night before I went to bed. I prayed for them again this morning. And I'm praying for opportunities when we can follow up with that person. Why? Because everybody I meet, the most important thing that person needs is Jesus. They need the gospel. I don't want you someone who has a form of godliness without, without ex- using the power of telling people how to be saved. Oh, everybody needs it. You can't take the gospel to the wrong address. I want to hasten if we can. Look, if you would please, at the next one. And by the way, he said, when you find people like this, what's the admonition at the end of verse number five? You see those four words there? What does it say? What do you think that means, from such turn away? If I have a thought on that, what's that mean? Don't hang around them. He said, when you find someone who's critical, you find someone who's heady, high-minded, all they're looking for is a lover of pleasure. And by the way, you work hard, I think you ought to enjoy the fruit of your labor. The Bible teaches us that. And it's not me. I, I can't control you. I can't control me. Sometimes we get really, you know, the truth of the matter is, I'm not responsible for how you behave your life, and I'm, you're not responsible for how I, hate, I behave mine. I can't fix your wagon. You can't fix my wagon. But we are responsible to provoke one of the love and good works. We are responsible to love each other and help each other. Can't, I can't, if you don't want to obey the Lord, I can't, I can't make you obey the Lord. If I don't want to, you can't make me do it. And, and one of the saddest things about Christianity is watching people take the left, left road. They make these decisions on Facebook. They make these decisions and put, put themselves out there. And they cross the line. And here's what they are doing now. And they have alcohol in their hand. They have decisions that they've made just very distinctly, wanting to make sure that they're, they're on a different road. Well, I love them. And I don't think it's not my job to get up and criticize them or complain about that. But I would just say this. I can't control them. I got enough problems with just me. And it grieves me. It hurts me. But the truth of the matter is, I can't, I cannot, I, that's, that's not my job. My job is to love them, pray for them, provoke them to love and good works, and stay on the high road of holiness myself. Try to do that for my own self. But here he says, there are a responsibility to withdraw. He says, Timothy, when you find these attributes predominant in a person, step away. Because you can't lay with dogs and not get fleas. Don't be deceived, evil communications, they corrupt you. Dear friends, I want to just encourage you and be careful about how much time you spend filling your head with all these things that we see. You know, I, I, the other day I had someone say, hey, look at this, look at this looting. Can you believe it? I said, I'd rather not. Why? Because it messes with me. It creates emotions in me of anger and prejudice and challenges me with some things that, truth of the matter is, I got enough problems just dealing with John Wilkerson without having to find, uh, fill my mind with more garbage. Some of you folks, you surf the web way too much. And garbage in is garbage out. But the house preached a message on this, and it's not the same application, but it's, 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 uh, it's, in, it's, it's true. You cannot help but speak of the things which you have. So one thing you might be careful with is what you see and what you hear. Remember the little children's song, Oh, be careful little eyes, what you see? That might be good for a 52-year-old pastor. That might be good for a 72-year-old grandma. That might be good for people who, who stroll Facebook continually, trying to find everything, everything that's going on. And so much of that stuff, 
And, and now, now we don't have to hang around people to find out what's going on. Just, just get your phone out. But some of those things, we need to withdraw ourselves and say, you know what, that is not helping me at all. We need to, do a, we need to, we need to go dark some of our social media and say, you know what, I'm off that for a while. Let's see if I can get, see if I can get my, my spirit back. And I, I don't know about you, I can't, I can't look at that all the time and have a good spirit. I can't minister to my family. I can't minister to you. I can't do what I'm supposed to do if that's all I can see. He said, for some of these things, you've got to withdraw yourself. Now look at the next one, and we'll take a moment. We're not going to go to the end, but I want to quickly give to you another thought here. Verse number 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust. We see these selfish and selfish sins, and then we see them going into sensual sins. He said, from this sort, what kind of sort? Proud, critical, heady, high-minded, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I think you can oftentimes see immorality in a teenager's life oftentimes is precipitated because they're disobedient to their own mom and dad. Parents are trying to keep them from doing this and not doing this, and they're just back-talking, and they find them, so they think they're winning, but they're actually losing right into an immoral state. He said, from this group of people, by the way, that's where we ought to look at these things. We ought to say, you know what, am I unthankful? That's one of the things from the unthankful group oftentimes comes into somebody who is going to lead silly women laden with sins, caught up in immorality, and sensuality becomes an issue. We see it all over society. We see it in the ministry. We see it in the church. And oftentimes we have to go back and say, what am I doing that is wrong against God and what can I do to get that fixed? He said, but from this sort, these kind of folks, you're going to find they're going to go continually into sensual living. And it's a tragedy. But, and it, it creates tremendous collateral damage in the Lord's work and families and children. So many things. Look at the next thing if we can, verse number 7. And then we see ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Smart, but dumb. Have an unbelievable intellect, but really, they can't. Truth is the, is the elephant in the living room. They just keep walking around. They can't identify the truth. What does the Bible say about the truth in John chapter 8? You shall know the truth, and what does the truth do? It makes you free, right? Gives you free from hang-ups. That verse we just now quoted is in the, in the previous chapter. Look at it real quickly, if you please. Chapter 2, and look at verse 25. Chapter 2, verse 25. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God prevention would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You know, there's um, almost every, every sin is, is uh, based on a deception. You know, I just want to be free. I just want to be happy. That's not really, that's not a good goal. But truth is, is something that God wants us to, to practice, to live, to own. And he said, you know what, when someone gets, when someone acknowledges the truth about something, then they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. He says, when, whenever, whenever it, it, it is speaking about this, they're ever learning, but never able to come to knowledge of truth. Boy, be careful. Be careful. And think about things as, as, as truth. I mean, God wants us to do that. Then he says, verse number 8. Now as Janice and Jambres withstood Moses, so 
do these also resist the truth? Once again, truth is, is predominant here. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. He's going to reference here, and Janus and Jamboree's, you, you will not find their names in Deuteronomy. Uh, you're not going to find it in Exodus. But you'll find their story, and they are the names of the musicians uh, that uh, combated Moses. When Moses threw down the rod, and they threw down his rod and became a snake, they, they, they copycatted. They, they, they came in and they resisted him with satanic influences. He said, just like they, they resisted the truth, they resisted the, the, the man that God brought to them and resisted the truth he brought. They tried to duplicate that. We see Satan is doing that. This is a, these are names that would be in Jewish writings and in the Tagmud, not, not in, in, our, in our Bible here. But just like those musicians, the magicians in the Old Testament, they reproduce the same things. They resisted Moses. He said, these men today, they resist the truth. They argue. They come in to combat. They come in to combat. You know, the truth is we ought to be careful about arguing. I think we ought to just, you know, just live it out. And there's no sense arguing with a fence post. No sense arguing with someone who's not interested in, in the truth. He said they resist the truth. They just want to get you arguing about it. It's one thing I can't stand about some of the Internet platforms. It's just everybody's giving their opinions like, they're, like, they, like they know everything. And the truth of the matter is they just argue against things that are really, uh, we, and I can get caught up in it. You can get caught up in it. I know it's, it's very real. He said, they just resist the truth. They don't want it. They don't want to know the truth. They usually set a fire over here so you stop looking at them so you can look at this fire over here. And just create a drama. But he said, this is, the, this is the age. Selfish sinners, sexual sinners, searching sinners. But then we see the next verse, and that is number one, verse number nine. Read it with me out loud. But they shall proceed, for their folly shall be as manifest as to all men, as theirs also was. He said they will eventually be stopped. They will eventually lose an audience. He said people will get tired of hearing them. And you know, I think oftentimes people who find themselves in these ways, they weed themselves out of places of influence long term. He said they will proceed no further. And their, their, their deeds will be obvious and people will get frustrated with them. Can you think of people throughout your lifetime that at one time were supposedly spiritual leaders and you watched them just tumble through these, these 18 sins, sexual sins, smart people, smart people who knew better than that, and they fall into these things and they resist, they get into arguments and fights and drama, and then all of a sudden they're just, they don't have a following anymore. We can see that happen. He says, listen, Timothy, Know that you're dealing in a society where you're going to have these, these attributes. You're going to have selfishness. You're going to have sexual sins. You're going to have uh, educated, ever-learning, ignoring the truth, resisting the truth. And he said, he said, when you see that, know that one day that will be stopped. But he goes on to tell them there's four things that help us during this time. I want to just deal with one of them, and we'll do the rest of them next week. Can we look at the next verse, verse number 10? What's the first word you see there? It's a conjunction. What is it? But he says, I want you to think about this. Let's transition. This is all, this is the situation you live in. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, 
which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Can I look at that again, verse number, verse number 12? Yea, all that, that will do what? Live godly. But evil men and seducers, they tend to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived themselves. The first thing that this world needs in perilous days is somebody who will live it out. Somebody who will, he said, you know what? I've told you how you're going to serve, what, what society is going to be like, what some of the spiritual leaders are going to be like in this day, and they'll take these progressions. They'll go to be an unthankful, critical, all the things that have, get into all the stuff. He said, they're going to, they're going to weed out. They're, going to not, they're not going to have a platform anymore. He said, but you, Timothy, you have fully known what I taught you and my conversation. What's another word for conversation in the New Testament? How I lived, how I conducted myself. He said, you've watched me, and it wasn't pretty. He gave him three different cities where he was beaten, stoned, left for dead, suffered, and he was still, still did the right thing. He, says, he said, remember, you watched me. One thing this world needs, they don't need another cheap imitation of itself. It needs somebody that's real. You know, your neighbor needs, needs somebody that's real. Neighbors are not easy to win to Christ, in my opinion. It takes a little time because they know you're not going to move. People you work with, it takes a little time oftentimes. You just keep hanging around, you keep loving, you keep encouraging, you keep praying, you keep looking for opportunities. But one thing they cannot deny is your life. Your sermons whisper, but your life is loud. He said, the first thing to combat a perilous day we live in is really being a real Christian on the inside and on the outside. That will be obvious. You're already going to be a little different if you're a child of God, if you walk with the Lord, but you know you ought to be very relevant, very true, very, very honest. You ought to be above reproach. You ought to take one on the chin from time to time, if need be, for the cause of Christ. You ought to overextend yourself to make sure that Jesus mow your grass. Take care of your house. Your neighbor's sick. Do something for them. Live out the Christian life. Love your wife. Love your kids. Minister to them. Teach them. Do all those things that we ought to do. Pay your bills. Pay them on time. If you can't pay them, go talk to your creditor and say, I've got a problem, but I'll take care of this and this and this. Can we work out something? Do that. These are important times because in perilous times, what they really need is someone who fully understands what they believe and how they live. When their life and their lips match each other, that's a very powerful expression during a perilous time. I was talking to someone I met recently, and uh, I met, actually I met them three, four years ago, but they said to someone in this room, they said, you know, I've... I've been watching, and I probably shouldn't say it's just it sounds like I'm bragging. I don't want to be bragging. But he says, you know, I've been watching your pastor. He said, there's something about him that's very attractive to someone who doesn't believe like you believe. And I, I believe with all my heart God's going to give me an opportunity to, to witness to that man. But it should be my testimony all the time. Everybody I meet ought to have something that says, you know, what is different about that person? 
And it ought to be the way we live, not just what we say. But boy, when those two together, it's a very powerful thing. And it's so needed in a perilous day. You got your opinions. I got my opinions. They really don't matter. What you do is you have, you have ever-living souls. Some are going to heaven. Some are going to hell. Don't just be a, 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 having the form of godliness, but use the power of Christ, the power of a witness and the power of a holy, a holy life. I think these are great things that God can help us with.